Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns with your host, as always, Jeff Lloyd, for your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. Um, Guys, as, as much as the anticipation is there for it and as much as everybody gets excited about it, it finally comes and... Like that, it's over. Uh, NFL Combine 2019 is in the books. Um, today we got to see the defensive backs and the, I'm sorry, the uh, cornerbacks and the safeties uh, finish out the workouts in Indy today. Um, but look, guys, like we, we told you last night, the acceleration level between here and the draft is going to come a lot quicker because it's going to start saying light out a little bit longer. The weather is going to hopefully start to get a little bit better. And then the next thing you know, guys, it's Thursday night and getting live from Nashville and it, it, it's time to go. Obviously, you know, trades, free agency, all that's going to come along as well. But this is this is about about the time where the NFL will start to pick up again here at a high rate. Um, we're going to get into some things here. Obviously, we're starting to get some names of guys who look like they're going to be 100% available. Uh, our good friend of the show, Mary Kay Cabot, was able to put out an article today. What we're going to put stock into that, we're not, I'm not sure. But we're going to focus on one of those pieces of that article. Uh, Pete Smith here for uh, your recap. Uh, obviously, we've done day one, day two, day three. We're going to finish day four. Um, Pete, just off the top of your head before we get to the news of the day, uh, what are your final thoughts here? In Dude, it just goes by so quick. It definitely does. Um, you know, as far as the oh, my, my quick reaction to the combine in general, uh, there are more than 17 players that I like for the Browns, and they pick 17th. So we should be fine is, yeah, that is was, my that, overall take. That was a fun exchange for the DM set. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, he's, he'd be okay. Yeah, he'd be okay. So, guys, this, you know, not picking first, not picking fourth, but actually picking 17th, and maybe it's a little bit prettier when you've got Baker Mayfield and you've got Miles Garrett and a lot of these other things in tow, and it's like, ah, you want to know what? I got to the deli line late. I'll just have to be patient and wait my turn this time. That's the equivalent of what it is here, guys. Um, yeah, so you know, Mary Kay put out some thoughts here. Um, you know, some of it, you know, you know, fishing expeditions, who is whatever. But the main was was um, possibility of moving on from Duke Johnson. My biggest issue with this, Pete, and we talked about this the second Kareem Hunt was signed here, because look, I mean, it does make sense if you were to think that maybe they wanted to move on from Duke Johnson. It's been forever now, and we screamed week in, week out. You need to use Duke Johnson more. You need to use Duke Johnson more. And it, it, to say you're going to trade him now is maybe kind of pigeonholing Freddie because we don't know. We don't know what a full Freddie Kitchens offensive experience is just yet. So maybe Freddie spent some time here saying, "Look, maybe there's a way, and there's some things I can do here." We don't know that. We do, you know, we don't know that. We can speculate on that, but. It just seems weird when you've got three, and I will include Kareem Hunt here, when you've got a backfield and you have three guys that are capable of a 100-yard day in whatever capacity you want, and I believe you're paying them combined less than $6 million, what in the hell would you be going to mess with that group for? Um, yeah, so beyond the fact that you know, obviously Freddie Kitchens got the gig partway through the season and maybe he would love to use Duke Johnson more but didn't have time to really you know implement something or whatever let's pretend for a second he doesn't like Duke Johnson let's just say it's not his flavor even if he isn't the problem is you've got Nick Chubb and then him and then Kareem Hunt and you don't know 
what the deal is with Kareem Hunt. And until you do, planning for you know whatever amount of games he's going to miss, whether it's you know half the season or into November or whatever, you or have to have Matt a- Miller's report that it's anywhere from eight to twelve games. So I mean, it's you know it's it's a lot to process. Right. That, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to sort of deal Duke Johnson from that standpoint. The other part of this is all she really said was they're willing to listen, and if they get a really good offer, they'll take it, which is true of, you know, three-quarters of the roster. I mean, if you call and offer them something for a player that's really, really good, they may well take it. And it's so, I mean, like, if your immediate reaction is, well, the Browns should, you know, trade Duke Johnson for a fourth-round pick, that certainly doesn't qualify to me as a good offer for a, a quality player. Again, even if Freddie Kitchen says, I don't like this guy. Um, or I don't know how to make him work. Look, I understand he can receive the ball. I do not know how to work him in in my running attack. Right. So you know, this is the type of thing that, uh, to me, if this is a deal that that happens at all, uh, which we'll see, it seems like something that happens after the draft because then teams sort of are situated with the rosters and if the Browns are going to you know uh, move on from him, they're going to have the ability to – you know, try to plug the hole. I, I don't see a situation where they're going to trade and then have to dig themselves out of the hole uh, in, in what is a pretty, you know, uninspiring running back class. Yes, there are some players that can help you, but it's not like last year where, you know, you had just running back after running back after running back that looked like they could be a stud and the bronze obviously got chub. So it just, maybe it happens, but it just feels very, premature to get too worked up about it now uh and that's okay i mean my reaction is look if there's a great offer uh, fine but in general i think he's a valuable piece of the puzzle that can play yes i mean everybody talks well he's a running back you can put him wherever you want and and clearly freddie kitchens was able to put he and nick chubb on the field at the same time so if that's how you're going to operate that's there's nothing wrong with that and look, you know, and for me, part of it is is I don't see why Duke, who, who's been here for as long as he has and dealt with nothing but just garbage, you know, what I don't see the how the team is going to get substantially better by moving on from him. Um, he first off, I mean, guys never missed a game, so that's something you value in a running back. Um, there were times where you you said you want to know what. We need you, and it was the end of the Baltimore game. They needed a, the the win over Baltimore. Got him involved. Yeah, maybe some of it was fresh legs, but he was key and he was essential to getting you that game winning field goal in overtime. I just you know, and to trade him for a day three pick in a running back class that's uh, yawn at best. You know what you you don't need to move on from a, a Duke Johnson. The Kareem Hunt thing, and look, if this drags out until the draft, what you need is you need, you don't need to move on from Duke Johnson. You need insurance for Nick Chubb. And we've talked about this before because, you know, Freddie does like his play action. He does like to run the ball. So you need somebody you can have some confidence with where if it was 12, 15, maybe 20 carries, you can trust the guy to get that job done. Moving Duke Johnson is not going to change that, aid it, and look, I, I I do agree that Duke is not the guy you probably want to give 20 carries to. That's fine. 
But you don't need to move on from a usable piece. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not getting anything more than a day three pick for Duke Johnson. Everyone's going to say, well, what am I paying for? You guys have no use for him. You don't know what to do with him. Why would I give you a second round pick, a third round pick? It's not going to happen. It just right. it, it doesn't work that way. The other, if if there's a trade, I could see happen. Uh, it would be player for player, uh, which if, is if, extreme. I mean, to predict that is impossible. Well, but, but I mean, if, if the alleged report that the Eagles are interested in in Duke Johnson, uh, the the deal that could make sense is Duke Johnson for Nelson Aguilar. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is on the hook for about nine point three million dollars. The Eagles are trying to shed. A bunch of money so they can make the which brand, is funny brand track. we're going to move Nick Foles but meanwhile they're handing out money left and right so guess what the moving on from Nick Foles that money's already gone right so they obviously signed Brandon Graham to an extension they signed Jason Kelsey to another year they like they they are constantly churning and and they are a well run enough organization in terms of their money that it's really more of a case of choices than it is cap problems but my sense of it is I don't think they're going to choose Nelson Aguilar and if that's the case and if that's you know personally I think Nelson Aguilar is an outstanding fit for Baker Mayfield personally I would say I I like him for a day three pick anyway uh but with with the uh addendum that I would like to negotiate an extension beforehand where it's that 9.3 million that little sticker price early but I'd really like it to be more like five or six million a year after that because he is sort of that stereotypical number two receiver who fits well with Mayfield and could be great. So if you're saying player for player deal, I could see a situation for Duke Johnson and Nelson Aguilar where it becomes we don't think he's a great fit in Cleveland, whether you agree with that or not. I don't. Uh, to a player to to a player that isn't going to fit in the Eagles' long term plans, I could see that. Again, even if that's the case, I, I think you're waiting a while, whether it's after the draft or during the draft or even right before the draft. I think it becomes one of those things that's negotiated you know, over the course of weeks and, and whatever they have planned in place, and then something happens, and then they trigger it, and they go ahead and fire it off. I, I do. I agree with you uh, from the aspect of it could be a something that's done during the draft, where the Eagles say, here's a couple of backs that we'd like to get into this fold. Oh, that didn't work out. Same thing with the Browns. Oh, here's a couple of receivers we were hoping were going to be here when we wanted them to be here. That didn't work out. You know, it's something that's talked about extensively between two teams and say, hey, you guys didn't get your guys. We didn't get our. We interested? And, you know, whatever. Flip of a seventh for a six, whatever. I mean, th- that doesn't matter. But to just trade him for a day three pick, it's not going to help this franchise. You're just adding a hole to a you- team that doesn't need holes. Now, granted, they don't have a lot of needs. But that doesn't mean you're you're sitting there going, hey, there's this cost-efficient player that can help us. Let's give him up for a pick. Now, you know, certainly that's an option. But and this is from a, a GM who has consistently, since he's been here, tried to avoid, uh, who's tried to plug as many holes as he can before the draft. So he's always in a position to get the pl- best player available. This would seem. Opposed to that, which is why I think, again, it's more likely to be a, a, a wait-and-see type thing as opposed to running out and getting getting a trade right now. Which, by the way, and, and to be fair to Mary Kay, it's not like she said this is some imminent thing. All she said was, uh, you know, they are, they'll listen, which is, you know, very vague and, and not exactly, you know, a big deal. But, you know, it's very easy to run with it. Oh, of course. 
Um, the big news of the day, though, um, we're starting to see some names that look like they are going to be 100% available come free agency, Pete. Um, Justin Houston, now there was some fun with this, obviously, you know, about a week ago, you know, the Chiefs would be interested in trading Justin Houston, owed $21 million, I believe it is, over the next two years. Um, the knees are a question mark. Uh, he's hitting that beautiful ripe age of 30 years old. And guess what? Nobody called. Nobody offered anything. Because guess what? Justin Houston is going to be available. Uh, two other names. C.J. Mosley. Look, the Ravens, we discussed this at nauseam, Pete. The, the, the cap's an issue. Um, the Ravens, this might be a step back year. You know, one step to make two steps the year after. Um, I don't know how they think they're going to continue with the offense the way they are. There isn't a wide receiver anywhere on that roster. And then this one's my favorite. Uh, the New York Giants. I don't know what the hell y'all are doing. Um, but Landon Collins, who, yeah, I'll say, yeah, he is the best defensive player they have. Uh, they, they're not happy with the tag number, so they're probably just going to let him test free agency. So some big names hit in the market here, and I, you know I don't know if everybody all you know maybe Sashi Brown's going to get a chance here now because maybe some teams are going to realize that maybe if you're really going to blow crap up, you're going to need somebody to come in here and kind of do that dirty work, the company a serve pro whatever to clean everything up to start making it pretty again. But this 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 gets interesting, Pete, with some names like this out there. Um, yeah, uh, Justin Houston for free is interesting. Right, without giving up competition, certainly, uh, you know, John Dorsey has a connection connection there. Obviously, the prop the problem is the Colts do too. Um, both yep. guys, New York Jets, fun- New York Jets are stupid enough to say, "Hey, we're gonna look at you, bro, like you're 26." Sure, uh, there are a lot of teams that could throw stupid money at him. Oakland, Oakland, Oakland could throw. You know, <laughs> this is a this is would be a classic Raider move to just throw yep. a stupid amount of money at him. Um, but the problem is we're going to run into this situation all offseason, and it sucks because on the one hand, you're sitting there as a Browns fan. You're going, man, they are really in a position to be attractive to all these free agents. Meanwhile, Indianapolis plays in a dome, has Andrew Luck, has all these players, went to the divisional round last year, and looked won. to be a contender, uh, and, and they have more cap room than the Browns do. So they can basically dick the Browns the entire way, and anytime the Browns are talking to a free agent, they go – Oh yeah, we can give him two more two million more dollars a year, and and maybe force the Browns into making a bad decision or whatever, or just taking guys that they want because the Browns are smart enough to say they don't want to overpay for guys. That's not a great situation. The C.J. Mosley thing is interesting, but I feels like Trey Flowers to me, who's also technically available. The Ravens. Didn't want to tag him because they were. I think the Ravens were genuinely afraid he was going to sign it. <laughs> right. Uh, oh no! And, Where would they come up with fourteen point three million dollars? Some of that. Right. Nature. Exactly. Exactly. And and suddenly, you know, they they then can't afford a bunch of things. So they're basically having to say, look, whether you want to go out to another team and negotiate a contract, and we will basically match it or beat it or whatever which I expect Trey Flowers is going to be able to do. And, you're, you know, the Browns in that situation are potentially left holding the bag. Um, that would be unfortunate. But certainly this is a risk. Uh, you know, as mo- C.J. Mosley has been very adamant. He wants to stay in Baltimore. However, you get into the free and open market, and suddenly it's not so bad getting wined and d- dined by some of these teams. And, and you see what 
uh, is available around and maybe somebody talks you out of going back. But I, I do feel like both the case of C.J. Mosley and Trey Flowers, that you're basically negotiating the contract for, for the respective teams so they can go back. Having said that, would I love C.J. Mosley on this team? You're damn right. He was the dude in that Ravens game at the end of the season. He's yep. clearly the best player on that defense, even with uh, with uh, with uh, Eric Weddle, with uh, Humphrey, Humphrey, with the other safety who Tony uh, Jefferson. Jefferson. All those guys are are really good players. Nobody right now is holding that thing together better than C.J. Mosley. I mean, they literally had no other linebackers on that team. Uh, Matt Judon's a great player. You know they want to keep Terrell Suggs another year. They've got a, a, a bunch of defensive linemen. In, even if you're not super enamored with any of the defensive tackles, he's the he's the one guy. And if you lose that guy, that's a huge problem for them. Like it, it they don't have an answer. And certainly they could go into the draft. And you know there's a good chance that one of Devin White or Devin Bush is going to be there and they can try to plug it that way. But I really do believe that they're sitting there, you know, in part with fingers crossed that that they are on a a good enough terms where they feel confident enough that if he goes out there, he's not going to leave because they would really be left in a lurch uh, with that team. And, yeah, I mean, there was one other one you mentioned. Landon Collins. Landon Collins. Um, Landon Collins is interesting. He's a very, very good, strong safety. The problem is he's a very, very good, strong safety, and those don't tend to get a ton of money in the open market. However, because they can do so many, because so many defenses are willing to look at a guy like Landon Collins or something that, or the Browns potentially are looking at a guy like Jabril Peppers and saying he's a, you know, potentially nickel corner or at least Steve Wilkes is very interested in, in, in Jabril Peppers, wherever he wants to put him, that a guy like Landon Collins is very interesting, uh, certainly very talented. The question with there is medical. If you go based on his career, you're going to say, oh, he didn't miss many games. If you go by the amount of times he's actually ended up with like season-ending surgeries of some kind where basically the season ended and then he had to have something done, it gets a little sketchy. Um the other part that hurts Landon Collins is what happened today, which was that basically the safety class went, hey, we are really, really good. Um, and you may not want to rush out and pay a guy like Landon Collins because the, the class is so good. Or he may be a guy that sort of ends up sitting there for a while. And then, uh, again, he may go get scooped up real quick. But it, it wouldn't shock me if he's a guy who's sitting there after the draft and a team then decides, man, we need a safety. This guy's there. We should grab him. And he still gets a healthy check. It's just because of the position he plays that so, you know there may not be as much of a market as as maybe people want there to be. Like you know, Earl Thomas is probably going to get more excitement at least initially, and Tyron Matthew initially than a guy like Landon Collins. And I could be dead wrong on that, but that tends to be how those things work with strong safeties. It's it's possible, and you know, Landon Collins can do a little bit more than that. So it's it's pigeon him hole, pigeon hole him a little bit. Um, but you know, the Giants, whatever, just you know, you know, it, it, go ahead, make sure it's Eli's world, and you know, just whatever plan you have over there. If you guys ever want to let anybody know, we'd all be more than interested. 
Um, and I know there's a lot of people, uh, well, C.J. Mosley, we already have a middle linebacker in Joe Schobert. Um, okay, so keep Joe in the middle and let C.J. Mosley just freaking wreck house wherever you put him. Trust me, there's no way that C.J. Mosley and Joe Schobert is a bad thing. <laughs> no way whatsoever, guys. So anybody talking that, keep that one, just let that one go. iTunes, rating reviews, guys. Uh, jump over there, do me a favor right now. Drop a five-star, a little written review, something nice here. We've been busting our butts covering this combine for you guys. would appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, Pete, so we, now we'll get to the topic of the day. Um, we'll go cornerbacks first. And Pete, there's a guy I've been screaming about. Cleveland now, kid. Now we're going to, Michigan we're, State. We're, let's uh, go ahead. Revise the history here because I, I like where this is going. Look, he's, he's what you want. First things first. We've talked about Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward's fine. There are zero issues with Denzel Ward. Um, what do you have with Denzel Ward? Some a little bit undersized. Um, hopefully, he's going to be able to be smarter in the way he tackles. Um, you look at every other cornerback John Dorsey brought in last year, free agency, whatever he did. They all had length. This guy's got length in spades. Over an 80-inch wingspan. Um, four five one forty. I believe the vertical was thirty-seven. Uh, I believe the broad was eleven one. Pete, my guy Justin Lane. Went out, got it done today. See, now this is where you're trying to rewrite history a little bit. Now, let's be clear. Oh, boy. Because on Twitter, you made it sound like you had to drag me or convince me on the Justin Lane thing. I put, an LOL, I put an LOL after it. We have both been on Justin Lane. And, in fact, I, I basically went the topper move when I, I remember put Justin the, Lane I remember in the, the, in the, in the I first remember. round of the mock draft. I remember the original tweet, though. I put him out there, and it was either a quote tweet or you responded, and it was, well, he's got production for days. He does. And, and it started and in, then it grew. Yes, granted. Uh, he has done everything you could want. And when you combine the production with the length, with, you know, with the athletic testing today, you are not Factor in the fact he's just a pup. He's a pup. If you make the case that he's the top corner in the draft, you can make that case and not feel bad about it at all if you go by the numbers. The hips didn't lie, Pete. The hips showed up. No, and that was the thing you worry about with a guy like him. It, you know, because he's so tall, you worry about hips, uh, which is, you know, to, as an example, it got Rocky Sin a little bit from Temple. It wasn't bad. He had the weirdest adjusted 40 I've ever seen in my life. Well, maybe other than Andy Isabella. Yeah, it's not bad, but it, it, like Xavier Rhodes is the guy who has been had very good for the Vikings, but he's the guy where, you know, when he tested, you were like, whoa, you know, those hips are questioned. Sub seven is outstanding for any corner, let alone a corner like Justin Lane. Um, so yeah, it, it, not only should he be in consideration at seventeenth pick, again he could very well be. I, I don't think he will go this you know that early in terms of the picks. I, I like, but I, I I do think you you could make a case that whoever's taking a top corner in this class, assuming they play the scheme a scheme that fits him, the Browns do. Uh, that they could take him in the top 15 and not feel remotely bad about it. He has every checked every box. He's not only good, he's excelled at everything, production, athleticism, all that stuff. The other part that makes this interesting is the fact that Greg Williams last year and now a guy like Steve Wilkes this year, they're both primarily cover three guys. And that is perfect for a guy like Justin Lane 
plays off the ball, gets to play looking in the you know looking down at the quarterback, playing with the ball in front of him. Not often. Not again. He showed he has the hips, but you're not asking him to do a ton of turn and run stuff. You're allowing him to basically play downhill, which a guy that size, that's ideal. And then uh, because you have Ward on one side, you you have a guy like Justin Land on the other side. And this is part of the reason that TJ Carey was an, a nice option for them, even if he wasn't you know the great player, but he hoped he would. He was better than people thought. Right? After a rough first half, he was much better in the second half. It gives you the option to sort of move guys around yep. and, and play matchup defense. And that doesn't mean that like – you know, the just Justin Lane in that scenario wouldn't be, you know, basically the left corner and and Denzel Ward's the right corner. But there are certain situations where, you know, you could have Justin Lane sw- switch on to a bigger receiver specifically and Denzel Ward chase a talk- guy like Antonio talking, Brown. Or if you're talking the Bengals, you would put Anto you would put Denzel Ward on Boyd and you would tell a you know, you would tell Justin Lane, Hey, here's a tall task kid as a rookie. But AJ Green, that's who you got today, right? So you know, and 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 by an incomplete day, by the way, with with Byron Murphy, who I, I really like, his forty wasn't where I thought it'd be. He's got a ton of tests left to do. But that you know, that was the question with you know, if you wanted to load up Murphy and Ward in the same corner tandem, yes, they're both very very good players, but that's the risk you run with having two guys who are essentially the same. It's not wrong by any stretch, but it does, you know, you do get some options with, you know, having different types of guys and, and, you know, Lane and, and, and Ward couldn't be any, any more different in terms of what they sort of offer you. Well, and the thing with Lane and the one thing where the cover three scenario is going to work better for him is you know, he, he is a bigger guy, so some of these smaller guys were able to, in in man, were able to break off routes in front of him, and it, he just didn't adjust as quickly as they did, where Denzel Ward would. So he was able, you know, it looked like he ended up giving up cushion for completions, and, you know, those were some issues that he had. You know, you put him more in a, you know, and like Pete said, where you put him where, you know, the eyes are on the quarterback, the eyes are on the receiver the entire time. And look, he's 192, and the kid's just a pup. Uh, he's gonna be, you know, by year two, two ten. He's gonna be rocked up. He's gonna be a little more yoked up, where he can say, "Hey, you guys want to go out at the line? We'll go out at the line. I got no problem with that." And that's where that eighty-inch wingspan is gonna come in because he gets into your chest. It's gonna be tough to get off of it. He makes for a very, very interesting uh, pairing with Denzel Ward, and that's kind of where it started. I mean, they just—it's you know, peanut butter and jelly type of thing. Um, but as far as the top three guys, Murphy, uh, Greedy Williams, uh, DeAndre Baker, for what was supposed to be the consensus top three guys in this class, every one of them had some hiccups today. Uh, Greedy Williams frustrated and just said, "The hell with this, I'm out." Uh, you know, DeAndre Baker, uh, for a guy who was a little bit undersized, you really wanted to see a good forty, you didn't. Uh, Murphy, like you said, a little bit incomplete, but what you did see of him today. Um, if you want to say he's Denzel Ward-ish, doesn't have the 40, not even close, but, nope. you know, smooth, definitely smooth, but where you saw Denzel Ward as an undersized cornerback can be a cornerback one, what you saw today with Byron Murphy is maybe he's a little bit of an undersized cornerback, but he's a two. He's he's not he's not your guy. He's not your dog. Well, uh, 
he, you know, he really, really well an explosion. He hasn't done the agility. But it stuff. was weird. And he was the thing that was weird for me though was all these Washington DBs have tested through the stinking roof, and so you kind of figured. And for me, I kind of figured Murphy would, and that's where it kind of got weird for me. Well, yeah, that seemed to be the trend of the day, though, as far as court. Like, everybody seemed to test slower than you would have expected initially. Um, the the case you make for Byron Murphy is he is really, really good in drills. Uh, he, and, and you mentioned the word for it. He's very smooth. It, there's no hiccup. It is, you know, it, it, he's, if, if you think he's a 4-5-5 four, four, uh, five, five guy, he certainly does things that make him play a little faster than that. But you know the number is what the number is. Uh, DeAndre Baker, I'm not as worried about with a four-five-two. I think it was an official four-five. Again, his zone corner, not a big deal. His he only did one jump, uh, his broad jump, which was not great. That leaves me a little more concerned with him. Um, and then Greedy Williams, uh, I I was half listening at the time, but it certainly sounded like Der- Daniel Jeremiah was very skeptical of the. Uh, the timing of the injury uh, and the way he sort of went out with the quote-unquote cramps. Um, Greedy Williams, you know. Just say you pulled a hammy, man. Just just say it. Say you popped a hammy. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it with gusto. If you liked Greedy Williams coming into this, you probably liked Greedy Williams leaving uh, because he ran a 4-3-7. He didn't do anything else. Um and and did fine. The one thing I will defend Greedy on is is so many people call him soft. You back to his freshman year, dude's a dog, man. He he gets after it. He tackled a lot of people. Now you know whether that's second year trying to protect himself, thinking about the draft as Bradley Roby did so many years ago, and other guys have. I don't know. I I, I know I've seen all kinds of anonymous scout, anonymous GM saying, well, we don't want him. Our team tack, our defense tackles or whatever. I, what what defense doesn't? Um, so he just sort of leaves you with this incomplete and more – I think I think you leave the combine with a guy like Greedy Williams with more questions than answers. Uh, or you're basically just going to say he's inconsistent, one or the other. Um, but, the, yeah, those guys didn't help themselves. I, I think Justin Lane really put himself in position where – he could be that top guy as a result. And it's not so much, it's a lot like Cleveland Farrell. People that talk about, well, his stock fell. I don't know if his stock fell so much as guys are just really excited about other guys testing it. And Justin Lane, who, you know, for some people are going to say, well, I'm moving up at the board for you and I, no, it was largely just waiting, you know, and, and if confirmation, if yes. I mean, there, there was an element, Let's full transparency. We we had been discussing back and forth, you know, if we thought he was going to be fast and all those things, and if we thought his hips were going to be good, um, you know, we in that scenario we didn't really know until it happened. But in general, we've been sort of quietly and obviously with the mock draft we did, I put him in the first round. A little bit was just betting on the fact that he was going to deliver, and he did. And and now it, you know, he was a first rounder in there. There's you know that is what he is now now the question i have with it is is the nfl gonna feel that way um i think they should but yeah i i do think he becomes a a huge uh question at at number 17 and and one of the guys where you're coming out of this week going you know maybe you know players a through g are off the board 
but I can add this guy into the mix and not feel remotely bad about it uh, as a legitimate player that will feel good about if we have to pick him. No, there's no doubt about it. And Lane gives you that Cleveland favor, uh, flavor, obviously. And with Greedy Williams, um, and guys, if you remember when Trevor Sakema was on, and we talked about Greedy Williams and skipping the bowl game, and I believe this story was on NOLA.com, Greedy Williams, guy had it rough, came from a really, really rough so I, I, and this is what we talk about with the combine, and it, there is a ton, a ton of pressure on these guys. And when you say it's the ultimate job interview, it is. So did you know he flub a couple of things, and the pressure got to him and cracked him? It's it's understandable. He certainly would not be the first guy. Um, we saw it yesterday with uh, Jakai Polite out of Florida. It, it, it you know, and J- if you look at Jakai Polite, what's his Twitter handle? Retire moms. When there's this much on the line and, you know, the people around you and the people representing you tell you, you're top 20, you're top 20, you're top 20, you're top 20, and you go out there and there's other guys getting it done and you've looked bad here, you've looked bad there, do you crack? Do you step up to it? And there's certainly been number of guys where the pressure of the NFL Combine has gotten to them. And so maybe that is kind of what happened to Greedy Williams today. And it's great to, you know, you know, uh, you know, say you pop the hammy, whatever. But it, it, but that's the actuality of it. And this is what makes it the ultimate job interview. And there's going to be some teams that say, nah, not my guy. Uh, 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 yeah, I'm not drafting that guy because of this. So it's going to be interesting how it all plays out with that. But Pete, some other cornerbacks. And this was kind of the theme today. There was a lot of guys who... People didn't have any idea of testing numbers on, and a lot of guys came in today and just kind of, you know, double tape, triple tape. These guys, some of these guys put up some ridiculously good workouts today. Right. Um, You know, Julian Love of Notre Dame is another zone corner, and during the season, I think there was sort of an understanding that he was a really, really good player. Uh, He's another guy. He he hits. Um, And good player uh, getting to the ball. It was part of that defense where it was, you know, Jerry Tillery – uh, Tavon Coney and I guess Drew Tranquil and then uh, Julian Love at those levels where you had a guy or two at every level and that's why you know so much of the attention was on the defense and, and that's what carried them um, he you know the question he's another one the question was speed and he ran a 4-5 something uh, but he everything else is great and again for his own corner you don't need 4-3 speed would you like to have it? Sure. But again, if you're not asking the guy to play tight man coverage, we just got to open up and try to try to run with, you know, let's say DK Metcalf, you're going to give him some space. He's going to have, you know, eight to 10 yards and, and the ability to adjust and stuff like that. that. At that point, you need the hips and the burst, the initial explosion to get in and out of those breaks. And he did that. So he's another guy like, you know, like Justin Lane, who, who really checked those boxes and sort of confirmed that he's a nice player. Um, you know, continuing uh, the insanity to this Penn State. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Nobody saw that coming. It's just an athlete factory. Uh, Which is so it, weird because they, you know, used to be so old and plain and stale, and, and now it's just guys everywhere. And 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 I've been hearing it all uh, weekend from Penn State homers that I, I've criticized uh, James Franklin for being a little bit of an underachiever. They're telling me how they've won 30 games and, and a Big Ten title and, and great. The last two years, you guys have basically 
screwed the pooch on most every big game. Other I go back to I go back to not eighteens uh, Penn State game. I go back to seventeens, fourth and ten at the forty-seven to beat Ohio State. Somehow, some way, you went four plays in a row. It did not get the ball to Saquon Barkley. That's coaching. That is coaching. You get the ball to Saquon Barkley, you win that game. Right, and and they beat Michigan, you know, once in the, those three games. The other two, they lost by a combined seventy-four. So, granted, I've got my bones picked with Jim Harbaugh and his inability to adjust in the second half. But there it is. Anyway, the corner, Oruwariye uh, uh, from Penn State. Great times, length, speed. He, he you know, he he checked everything in terms of that. Um, he's another guy where gives you a little I, bit like, of a Namde Asimov vibe. He's a little inconsistent, you know, his tape is up and down, but he's a guy that people keep finding <laughs> their way back to as a nice player. And again, you know, these guys with length that can do this type of stuff, you know, they, they go high. And the one I'll point to, because Daniel Jeremiah shocked me with how early he talked about him going, was Isaiah Johnson from Houston. Isaiah Johnson with from Houston, uh, initially, just like, uh, Justin Lane came out as a receiver, changed positions at the school. Uh, I think Lane was immediate, but Isaiah Isaiah Johnson played receiver a year at Houston before becoming corner. Uh, he's got itty bitty hands, like Burger King old Burger King commercial hands that are noticeable. Uh, but his tape is uneven. He looks like a guy who you know was a receiver not that long ago. There are times where he's absolutely brilliant. There's times where you're sitting there going, eh. but he's 6'2", 208. He runs a 4'4". He's explosive. He runs a 6'8", 1'3", cone. Like, you know, and Daniel Jeremiah, you know, dropped, you know, potentially second round pick. Now, this screams to me, Stanley Jean-Baptiste, but, you know, I, I hope for him it's a successful situation. His production's Okay, but you get guys like this who are just so athletic and big in his case, and teams will talk themselves into a, a guy like this and, and potentially think he's going to be a Namdi Asimov, and they end up with Stanley John Baptiste, who's you know maybe in the AAF in this point uh, if he's not f- floating on the end of some some team's bench when he was a top fifty pick. Uh, originally, and it it just hasn't happened. And then the other guy I will mention, uh, you know, who I don't know if I've ever seen a three cone this this low. Uh, nobody mentioned his record, so I assume it's been it's been done. But David Long, the corner from Michigan, we were all excited about David Long, the linebacker from West Virginia. Uh, but he comes out four four five is fine. At 5'11 and 196, but then he runs a 6'4'5 three cone. His jumps are good. His short shuttle is uh, 397. I believe he was the top at both uh, the, both the agility things. Yep. And you know that that that's one of those guys who's probably going to you know send send people back to get another look and reevaluate. I, I think my overall impression of the corner corner class is. Maybe there's one less obvious first-round pick in this group, but I think the talent didn't really change so much as it just sort of got rearranged in terms of the quality. Like the group is very, very good, even if you're not, you know, as high as you were a minute ago on Byron Murphy. Uh, you've got a Justin Lane to come in there, or you've got a Julian Love, or you've got Amani Ar- uh, Aruye from Penn State. Uh, 
those all give you a great set of options. In that sense, I think, again, this this happens because we're so – because of the way it's televised, because of the way it's broadcast, and a little bit because of the position corners and receivers tend to get the most uh, talk about anyway is, is – you know, being so, so, so caught up in the 40 that the initial impression with so many guys was, man, this is a disappointing group. And I know some of this was uh, the, the, the drills and, and you know, they were really un- unhappy with some of the hip transition drills uh, that was leading, you know, Deion Sanders and Daniel Jeremiah to say, yeah, you know, this, this wasn't a very good group. But I think when you get into the advanced testing and then just go back to the tape uh, – I think it rebounded. You know, the other guy who could potentially fit the Browns, um, day three guy, you know, he's another guy. His tape is iffy, to say the least. Um, But production-wise and all that stuff, Chris Boyd from Texas, another guy who tested really, really well. He needs a good day. He needs a good day. I agree. And and he's a guy who has never had a non-contact day in his life. Uh, That kind of physicality. But you know, he. I think the Senior Bowl did expose some weakness with him and made people question, you know, how good he was. And and again, I think he's a day three guy, but now he's a day three guy with some some real upside and real potential because he does have some some skills that make you go, wow, uh, maybe maybe there's something there. And if you're you know a team like the Browns and you know other things get in the way. And you're waiting on corners that a guy like Chris Boyd or some of these other guys like this could be, you know, a nice fallback option on day three to add add some more competition and depth for for Wilkes' new scheme. And a guy who could maybe be a potential replacement for uh, Breen Body Calhoun, who looks like his days with the Cleveland Browns are over, as it looks like they are not going to tag him. So that's going to be that on him. But I, I think what you saw today was is you saw your four, five, six cornerbacks who were going to go in the top 50, top 55 picks. That's kind of cemented. Then after that, it's going to be kind of, you know, choose your pleasure, what are you looking for type of thing. Guys, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Twitter, the Locked On NFL Network is present on both social media platforms. Locked On NFL Net on both of those. Go ahead and follow um, all the team-specific shows like me. All draft shows, fantasy shows, the Lockdown NFL podcast, the Hub Show as well. Lockdown NFL Net, Instagram, Twitter. Make sure you're following on both those accounts, guys. Appreciate it and thank you. Pete, then we got to the safeties. And this had been a quietly spoken about bunch. And my Lord, these boys came out hard today. Right. I don't know how much of this is the fact that, you know, we, we, we deal with the Browns and they don't necessarily need safeties. They've got your bro peppers. They've got Demarius Randall. Derek you know, Kindred is still here. Derek Kindred's still here. And, and, you know, we'll see whatever happens with Calhoun. I re- here's the one thing I'll say about that. I hope this isn't a he's not one of our guys. I want to get one of our guys in here type thing like they did with Nassib and, and some of those other guys. It just seems like, he, you know, he had gotten in the doghouse. The only way he got out was because of the fact they had no choice, and it was the week in Tampa where they said, Demarius, we need you to play corner this week. I mean, but I mean, a solid player, and I can't imagine it has anything to do with the money. Now, the, well, the other part of this is if John Dorsey is famous for saying, don't pay for depth, and that may be what this is. that You know, they view him as depth, and they don't want to pay – a bunch of money for it, and they can get a guy in the draft and put him on a rookie contract. Anyway. If he develops uh, into a starter, then we'll talk about paying you. Right. Uh, but, you know, 
the safety class was was a smoke show. I mean, they came out and were better than the corners uh, in in a lot of drills. You know, uh, uh, Juan Thornhill is a guy. When we did the Senior Bowl stuff, I'll give you this: uh, one. Juan Thornhill, people th- from jump. <laughs> I thought he was maybe the best football player at the Senior Bowl, and and then you kept seeing this stuff trickle out about. Well, he's not a very good athlete, and and I, you know we're not sure how he's going to test. And then guys, whenever you hear, whenever you hear whether or not somebody's a good athlete, go check YouTube. You would have found it. But go ahead. So then he comes out, and it, this doesn't even get to the forty yet, and they're just looking at his jumps, and he jumped one forty one forty one broad jump, which is just stupid, and then forty four inch vertical. Uh, that's crazy he's six foot 205 pounds and then he only ran one for uh, 140 yard dash i don't know if he pulled up lame or basically said i'm, I'm good, good. Yeah. Uh, but but he well, that's the that's the virginia education pete he said <laughs> what am i doing and then with the first four i think it was after the vertical uh i know it came out through several accounts i know dane brugler put it out here he is in a high school basketball game taking an inbound lob alley-oop and dunk it on like two dudes it's like yeah and apparently he had, you know, mid-major basketball offers. So athleticism, that was crossed off the bo- that was crossed off quickly. Right. And and you know, he didn't do anything else but just from those tests, he was on the Eric Berry plan. Uh, now Eric Berry had obscene agility. Like you go back and look at his athletic pro- profile. It's disturbing how good he was as an athlete. I love that kid in college. Um, and then you follow up with a guy like Jonathan Abram who's basically a guy who just wants to knock the shit out of you and anyone else he can find in the way. And he tested well. Now, he didn't do much in terms of testing. He only did the 40 and, and, and the uh, and the broad jump. His broad jump was okay. But he did run a 4-4-5. And you watch his tape. He just looks like a, a dude with an anger problem in all the best possible ways where he's just looking to knock people out. Um, uh, Amani Hooker from Iowa, great day. Uh you know, Lucas Dennis was okay. His 40 was a little slow. I thought everything else was pretty solid. Um, you know, it's just – and this – this this keep in mind, this was what they grouped at Nasser Adderley. I think is he was call, talking about an ankle, prevented him from doing any testing. Uh, Taylor Rapp did a few things. And this was a guy who's referred to by some as, you know, sort of a – Top 50, top 75 pick. I know a few people at one point had him in the first round. He did everything but the 40 and was outstanding. Um, you know, this is a, a program that, you know, produces guys like Buda Baker and, and those type of players that just keeps you finding these really, really nice athletes and just putting them in position to be great in college. Uh, and then the other the other one who's a, a guy that, that really – has been gaining steam lately anyway. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from Florida had a really good day. And there are people like Jim Coburn, you know, has basically said he should be a corner. Um, It was funny, though, because I remember years ago with Dayone Buchanan, and Jim Coburn was one of those guys that Dayone Buchanan, this production is off the charts, but tested like a cornerback. Yeah, so... Gardner Gardner Johnson at at five eleven two ten, which is a thick dude, um, you know, tested really well. And the way that people talk about using him is that you know, 
that sort of a slot nickel type guy and, and a safety and all those things, you really do get an image of basically you're, you're going a long way to describe Jabril Peppers. Um, and, and I know in part there were people, you know, immediately reaching out and going, well, why can't we have two Jabril Peppers? Which if they want to commit to three safeties on the field all the time, sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. We've talked uh, about this, Pete. We've talked yes. about it ad nauseum. Yes. Now, if you want to just live in big nickel, you know, then you get a guy like Chauncey Gardner Johnson. You basically put him in the at the at the true strong safety, and you basically say, Jabril, I'm just going to move you around, and you're going to be a joker, and you're just going to mess shit up. Um, that you know, and he might be a guy who. The thing is, like, you you've got somebody. One of these guys is going to fall. Uh, it's just a question of how far. You've got Juan Thornhill, you've got Jonathan Abram, you've got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, you've got Taylor Rapp. There are four safeties that could arguably be first-round picks at a position that doesn't tend to get that many first-round picks. So it becomes a question of, you know, who's going to be the guy to take fall? And, and another guy who didn't test, uh, in addition to Nasir Adderley, is Deontay Thompson. And I honestly think he may have taken the biggest hit by virtue of the fact that... What have you done for me lately? But there's that. His production isn't that good. His tape is fine. I, I just think that there you know, there, there was always going to be a little bit of a correction with Deontay Thompson. Like a lot of people were talking about him. Oh, he's the, he's the top safety in this class. And I, and I think, you know, whether it's injury or trying to save himself for the pro day, and, and it may work out great for him. Um, I do think that, you know, being idle sort of allowed these guys to really capture attention and and potentially get more conversation in the first round. But, you know, if the Browns are serious about doing something like that, where Steve Wilkes basically comes into John Dorsey and says, man, this safety class is really good. I'd love to just say, I'm just going to play three all the time. This is the class to do it. You know, I'm going to have a hard time hating that, especially if that's part of the reason you're saying, you know, body, I love you, but we just don't have a place to put you. Uh, but if you're looking for some value, guys, I think Saquon Hampton didn't do a lot of testing stuff today. I which think is he's weird a, from a guy from Rutgers, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, you got to go out there and do it, bro. Well, it's just I don't know how many guys you're getting to come visit you in uh, in, uh, in in East Pascato. Piscataway. Nah, nah, it's not East, it's Piscataway, Pete, get it right. But yeah, I, I don't know how many people are flurrying to the uh, Pro Day in Piscataway to see him and, well, I mean, the corner too, but yeah, that's about it. Right, so, I mean, he's 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 a true free safety. Uh, he ran better than I thought he would, 4.48 at 6.1206, had a nice broad jump. Again, in the same breath that we're talking about, you know, the potential of having Jabril Peppers expand his package – expand his package of, of what he wants to do in terms of defensive stuff, uh, insert joke here. Um, the other part of this is if you want to say that Jabril Peppers can become more of a slot player when you when you take a linebacker off the field or in a perfect world, never put him on it, um, that you want to bring in another free safety who could potentially take half the field away and has a, and has qualities of being a ball hawk that you potentially have Demarius Randall on one side of the field and a guy like let's say Saquon Hampton who's really a role player but has a huge role and then he can take away the other side of the field and you've got you know let's say Denzel Ward, Jabril Peppers, Terrence Mitchell flying around underneath. That's you know that's a nice looking group 
for a team that that, that has it, at least stated goal, and I, I can't imagine this is going to change under Wilkes, it's looking to cause turnovers. And that's what you want, though. I mean, and look, and whether or not, I mean, safety for me, I'm assuming it's something that if they even would even entertain it, it's going to be somebody on day three. Um, look, I mean, Derek Hinder, we talk about this, his future here, we're not really sure about it because there's not going to be a 65-35% split next year between Peppers and Derek Kindred. Um, you heard it from this defensive coordinator, and with what Jabril Peppers did last year, there is no way he's going to be watching 35% of the snaps like he was last year. That's just not going to happen. It's mismanagement. It'd be poor, whatever word you want to use. Jabril is one of your top guys. Um, but we guys, we talked about this, and we started probably by midseason um, look, if you're light at the linebacker position because of injury, if you're questionable athleticism at the linebacker position, then you know why don't you take a guy like Jabril Peppers who's got this experience and knows how to do it and maybe start to utilize that, and we'll see. I mean, and guys, the Shaq Thompson, Steve Wilkes thing, That's I mean, we're not going to get off of that until somebody tells us to not get off of it, Pete. Yeah, uh it's you know it's going to be a thing until and and part of this is is you know and I've said this with defensive line you know I don't know what Steve Wilkes wants he hasn't really come out and said this is what I'm doing so on some level we're all just sort of projecting some people uh, who who may or may not be in my mentions consistently are are con- really trying to rebuild Carolina's defense um, sign Thomas Davis at 36 <laughs> years old. I mean, um, I love Thomas Davis. I love the player he was. I remember him coming out of Georgia. He was a safety, and they started moving him forward. He's thirty six, guys. Um, yeah, I, I don't. You know, I don't think it's really reasonable to say we're going to try to strive for defense where three linebackers are on the field all the time. Um, you know, it, it's generally two, and then you know a bunch of a bunch of DBs out there, and. You know, if, if you know, when we get close to the draft, and we're talking about you know Devin Bush as a potential running mate with Joe Schobert, yeah, that could happen. Do I do I then say think that they're going to then try to get another guy to? All right, well, let's do this one right now. You got you got to take a linebacker. When I'm going to say the draft position, are you taking Devin Bush or are you taking Devin White? I think Devin White has a better case, but I would take Devin Bush for fit. I think Devin Bush is is more in tune with what the Browns want to do uh, with Joe Schobert next to him. And, uh, you know, I, the thing and with Devin White... T- and could take over if it didn't, you know, something ever where it comes, one's got to go as opposed to the other. Well, the other part of it is that as much as, look, Devin White's production, his athleticism, all these things are fantastic. I don't know if he's anything else but a Mike. I think Devin Bush is a pretty easy projection to will. Uh, you know, and that may be selling Devin White short... There are things that make you worry about him in terms of, you know, people often refer to his processing speed, and this is not an original thing. I've heard this from a lot of people saying this about they're not sure how well he processes and stuff. Whatever you want to say about Devin Bush, he's whatever something happens, he's going. Um, Even if it's wrong, he's going to go 100 billion miles an hour. Which, yeah, and and that's not bad. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's what you're told to do. If you don't know what to do, you better hit somebody. Right, like if you're going to be wrong, be a hundred percent wrong, and we'll try to up your average as you go. <laughs> um, but again, you have a defense with a guy who says, "I want to be aggressive." Devin Bush is aggressive. I, I, I think that's, you know, in his bio or even potentially his middle name. 
um, you know, he's just that guy that sort of fits what you're trying to do. He's not, you know, if they go with one in the first round and there are compelling cases to make. I, I don't love the idea of taking a first round linebacker, but I do appreciate what, what the kid does. And we talked about it before the combine. I felt like the athleticism had to be there to justify the conversation. He, congratulations to Devin Bush. You more than did it. We can have that conversation. Um, you know, I, I think there will be better options in terms of premium position, but oh, if, I agree. if we get to seven, well, I mean, I'm just saying if we get to the, the, the pick is in, I see even Devin Bush, I'm not going to be sitting here mad about it. Let's, it's not going to be like, you know, people floating the idea of like Greg Little, uh, that one I, I would be a little upset about, I, you know, Devin Bush may not, when we get to, you know, the draft and 17th pick, you know, as I do every year, I will talk tough about it. it's got to be this guy at, at, at 17th pick or, or I walk or whatever. Realistically, in my head, I'm saying just don't screw it up. Just don't screw it up. Don't take you know some awful player. So when that point, you certainly can, can get on the plan of, hey, Devin Bush's name comes up, fist pump, let's go. I can at least see where this is. If nothing else, Devin Bush is fun. Uh, so that, that certainly has, has something going to it. But Back to the original point here, we don't know enough about what Steve Wilkes wants to do that we're all trying to feel this thing out. I know he plays a lot of zone. That much, he's done it everywhere. He did it. People like gave him gave him uh, shit about it, but putting Patrick Peterson in cover three, he did it. Patrick Peterson had a great year, but he was in cover three quite a bit. Obviously, that was what Carolina lived in. That much we know. Does he want you know a big clogger next to Larry Ogunjobi? I don't know. Does he want a third safety on the field all the time? I don't know. Does he really want to go back to 2015 Carolina for Hiram? I don't know. I, I'm betting against the last one, but, you know, we'll see. So offensively, I think we're way more comfortable projecting certain things than we are defensively. I, I, I'm, I'm excited about where the defense is going to go, but we don't have all those answers filled in yet. And I think part of it, and maybe we can start to get the story told through free agency and or trades. We'll see. Oh, absolutely. That's you know, that, you know that's work. If if nothing else, we're at least gonna guess based on that. God knows, <laughs> as I do, we would. The second they si- they got a quarterback, uh, when when they got Tyrod, you everybody immediately assumed, well, that's Darnold now. Uh, obviously everybody's wrong but you know that that's what tends to happen whatever they do we're gonna we're gonna run with it and and make guesses based on it and and see where we end up well that's what we do best um guys this has been locked on browns your coverage of the final day in um indianapolis for the nfl combine 2019 it was interesting uh with the defensive backs here and you know obviously you know the cap on it um, it was fun uh, sending a couple messages and talking with Daniel Jeremiah today. Um, Want to give him credit? Uh, I think he did a fantastic job. Uh, it was you know the transition was different without Mike Mike Mayock. Um, I, I don't know if I heard enough bubble butts, um, but it's it just it's fun and you know obviously you know this is now Daniel Jeremiah's time and obviously his team guys like Ben Fennell, um, who we're gonna have on here in the next couple of weeks. So it's it, it's it's just fun. Look, I mean, enjoy this part of it. Right now, it's just watching players, getting opinions on them, and ooh, I'd like them, and eh, maybe I wouldn't. And right now, there's ten draft choices for this franchise. 
Um, whether or not they make them all, who knows? Even if they do, it'll be ten names to get to follow and see how they all eek, if, tweak into this roster. Um, Pete's gonna have a bunch of stuff, uh, great stuff over for you at NFL Spin Zone. Um, so follow uh, his work over there. Follow him at uh, at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Check him out over there. The Lockdown Browns Twitter account, as always, we keep it a follow back account, guys. Um, the DMs and stuff have been picking up. Guys, if you don't know much about that stuff, this stuff, that's fine. If you're more comfortable sending DMs, I will answer them over there because, you know, you don't want to get dragged down through Twitter. And, God, we know the way that mess works. Um, I was sent a fantastic list of running backs today that would be okay fits if we do end up trading Duke Johnson away. Um, if you send me a name like Alan's, Alex Collins... Um, guys, that's a guy you need if you need a dime bag, not if you need a running back. So if you're going to come at me, please at least come at me hard. Uh, Cameras Artist Payne, thanks for that. I, I did not know he was still in the league, so that was nice to hear about him today. Um, apparently a Week 17 star for the last two years in the NFL. Guys, look, if you want to battle, that's fine. If you want to troll, that's fine. But at least do your stinking homework when you do it. Follow me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Um, guys, the support and the appreciation for the show. Uh, we've had a monster weekend in downloads here as we cover the NFL Combine. I thank you guys for, uh, you know, continuing to come here for it. Uh, you know, obviously as much as, you know, the Browns coverage we give you, Pete loves the draft. I love the draft. This is first and foremost before I took this gig. One of the reasons I took it is because I do love the draft as much as I do. And when I did take it, the Browns were in, in need of a lot of help. And we're starting to see the fruits of the labor with this. So uh, I do appreciate everybody for the following, the retweets, everything, the listens, the downloads. I appreciate it, guys, to the max. Um, this has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB on the LOB. Let's go, Browns.